Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. If you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 963. Let us now hear God's word. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. At this time, congregation, I invite you to turn in your forms and prayers book to page 247, Lord's Day 40. This is a question concerning the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. Congregation, I will ask the question, please respond with the answer. What is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to belittle, kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to those in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. Does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. Next page. Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. Let's pray together. Oh, Father in heaven, we pray that you would grant us ears to hear and eyes to see what Jesus, our Lord, is teaching us, and that we, O oh Lord, would embrace the truth by faith, and that we would desire to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, to walk in love toward our neighbor, even our enemy. O oh God, grant us your spirit and your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of Christ, in the sixth commandment, the Lord forbids all forms of murder. That's the title of this evening's sermon. He forbids all forms of murder because he commands all peoples to respect and honor and protect life 
Because God is the God of the living. God is the God of life. In Matthew 5, we see that murder, according to Jesus, takes various forms. Jesus, as he does in the Sermon on the Mount, takes the law of God, the commandments of God, to a deeper, more profound interpretation and understanding what truly constitutes murder in the eyes of God. And Jesus will teach the people what truly constitutes murder. First, we're going to look that God forbids murderous deeds. Murderous deeds. We're going to look particularly at verses 21 and 22 of our text. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old. You have heard that it was said to the ancients. To those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Murderous deeds consist of the literal taking of another person's life. The sixth commandment forbids murder, saying, You shall not murder. You shall not ratzach, commit premeditative murder. That is, plot out murder in your hearts and commit murder with your hands. It's premeditative murder that is being spoken of here. That Hebrew word means to take another person's life with premeditation or plot the murder of someone's life. Some editions of the Bible say you shall not kill. You shall not kill, which can be somewhat deceiving in a way because what does kill mean? Animals are killed, but it's not murder. Now, if we talk about kill, we need to distinguish between unauthorized and authorized killing. So if we use the word kill, you shall not unauthorized kill somebody, if you want to put it that way. But the purpose of the sixth commandment is to protect life because human beings are created in God's image, God's likeness. It is for the well-being of human beings and the prevention of more murder, which the catechism rightly points out. It restrains murder. Even before the Ten Commandments were given, God commanded Noah and his offspring in Genesis chapter 9, giving them authority to punish the murderer or manslayer in Genesis 9 verse 6, where we hear, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Capital punishment for the murderer. And the sixth commandment is further expounded upon in Exodus after the Ten Commandments, particularly Exodus chapter 21. Moses commands, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death, but if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Leviticus 24, 17 says, whoever takes a human life shall surely put to death. There's the practice of lex talionis, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So murder in God's eyes, literal murder, murderous deeds are a serious, serious sin in God's eye. 
to most people, this is probably the most common and only form of murder. Right? People think about murder today, they're going to think about the literal taking of one's life premeditatively, with malicious intent. The ancients or those people of old that Jesus is referring to, the rabbinical tradition, rightly believed that unauthorized killing or murder was punishable by death. So Jesus isn't necessarily condemning them or rebuking them for their position on judgment for the murderer. They believe that whoever murders will be liable to judgment, as Jesus says there. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Correct. Correct. When a murderer is condemned in a court of law, he is sentenced to death. And God gave the governing authorities the sword to punish evildoers. We look at Romans chapter 13, for example, where God, where God gives the sword to punish evildoers. So what's the problem, Jesus? What's the problem? What is the problem that Jesus has here with the ancients, with the rabbinical tradition? He has a problem with their narrow interpretation of the commandments. In other words, Jesus doesn't have a problem with what they said. He has a problem with what they didn't say about it. In fact, they were lacking in their interpretation of the Sixth Commandment. And that's what Jesus has an issue with. It's not just murderous deeds. It's not just this narrow view of the interpretation and application of the Sixth Commandment. In rabbinical tradition of interpretation, there were distinctions made to determine if someone took another person's life shall receive the judgment of death depending upon the manner or method of death, depending upon the weapon used, what part of the body it was used on. So they would take all these factors into consideration to determine whether or not capital punishment should be given. came across a Jewish article on, on homicide. And it talks in this article about the Talmud, Talmudic law, rabbinical tradition, and how the principle that premeditation and murder is to be determined either by the nature of the instrument used or by previous expressions of enmity. While there are deadly instruments such as iron bars or knives, the use which, of which would afford conclusive evidence of premeditation, the court will, in the majority of cases, have to infer premeditation not only from the nature of the instrument used, but also from other circumstances, such as which part of the victim's body was hit or served the assailants as his target. Then it goes on to say, listen carefully, there is, however, notwithstanding the presence of premeditation, no capital murder in Jewish law unless death is caused by the direct physical act of the assailant. Thus, starving a man to death or exposing him to heat or cold or wild beasts or any other way bringing about his death by the anticipated and however certain operation of the supervening cause would not be capital murder. So it all depends on how the person is murdered. 
if they are not involved in, let's say, pulling the trigger or actually stabbing someone, but they're in the fringe plotting it, starving people to death, not having their hands in the actual homicide itself, there's no capital punishment. What about Jesus? What happened to Jesus? He was handed over, delivered by who? To Pontius Pilate and the Romans. You see, the religious leaders were thinking that their hands are clean because they did not put him to death. But what does the Apostle Peter say in his sermon? He says in his sermon, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. Killed by the hands of lawless men. They thought their hands were clean. Jesus corrects their very narrow view of the commandments. Yes, you will be liable to judgment for murderous deeds. But let's not stop there. Let's get to the heart of the matter, as Jesus was always good and is always good at getting at. Let's talk about murderous thoughts. Let's, let's expound more fully on this commandment, you shall not murder. At verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. The word there is wrath. Wrath. Whoever is wrathful or angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Not only the one who commits the murderous deed, the murderous act itself, but I say unto you, if you even have a murderous thought of anger or hatred towards your brother, you will be liable to judgment. The courts, earthly courts, cannot see your thoughts, but God can. And therefore, we are liable in God's courtroom. Jesus teaches us that murder takes this form. It isn't just a literal act of premeditative murder of another human being with hands. It is also a heart of anger and wrath toward our neighbor. This too is murder and subject to judgment before God. So then the root of murder, as the catechism says, is envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness, in God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. I like that word, disguised. Disguised forms of murder. With our thoughts, we think all sorts of evil against our neighbor, even our brother and sister in the Lord. Think about that. 
someone for whom Christ died. We have angry, malicious, wrathful thoughts. With our thoughts, we conjure up ways to maybe get back at a person, try to think thoughts of destroying one's reputation. With our thoughts, we want to think thoughts of wrath against our neighbor. I'll get you, I say in my heart. You're going to talk that way to me. I'm going to get you. With our thoughts, we desire to inflict harm and punishment. We do it in our minds. These are all disguised forms of murder finding its root in the heart. I think there's a reason why we're all quiet right now. Think about where we would be without Jesus. Think about where we would be without Christ. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. For the Jews in the world, this doesn't make sense because murderous thoughts don't harm anyone but the person who harbors them. It's not murder. You just need some self-help. Jesus, however, teaches us that anger towards another will be liable to judgment. What kind of judgment? Eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. I'm so glad you don't see my heart. God sees it. I can try to conjure up ways to, to disguise how I feel in my heart outwardly, but I can't pull a fast one past God. He sees it. He sees it, which is very sobering. Our mouths are like, our hearts are like a slave factory, slaying people. And then we try to justify it. At 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 and following, I want you to turn in your Bible with me to 1 John 3. Beginning at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. In other words, anyone who has been born of God, born of the Spirit of God, loves his brother or sister in the Lord. 
by God's grace, the born-again Christian makes small beginnings in obeying the sixth commandment from the heart. We make small beginnings in loving our neighbor and not hating them from the heart. And when we fall short, brothers and sisters, we run to Jesus. Jesus, cleanse me, cleanse my heart, teach me to love my neighbor as myself. How many Christians harbor hatred and anger and wrath toward other Christians? How can this be? Christians refuse to talk to each other because there's enmity and anger in hearts. How can this be? There's no room for love, no room for forgiveness. The one who persists in murdering his brother or sister in his heart ought to fear judgment. And that's what John the Apostle will eventually write. But the one who loves makes those small beginnings. The one who is born again by the Spirit of God learns to love his neighbor, put to death hatred and anger and malice and wrath. Because he who loved casts out all fear of judgment. Murder by way of anger and wrath and malice is anti Christian, we must repent of it. We must seek God's mercy. We plead the blood of Christ. We receive the forgiveness of God in Christ. We make things right with our neighbor. And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, it's imperative that we love one another in this way. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever new. Remove the anger and replace it with love. Remove the wrath and replace it with love. Remove the malice I feel in my heart and replace it with love. Because I know that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. Jesus just doesn't stop there, does he? Murderous deeds, murderous thoughts, murderous words. Our, our mouths are like swords. Verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults, verbally insults, the word there, raka. Some, tr some translations have that word raka. You say to your brother raka, will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Anyone who insults his brother or says raka to his brother will be liable to the council. Raka here is an Aramaic word that means empty. And it was used to express contempt for another person. It was used to vilify another person, to slander another person, to name call.
slander and name-calling were examples of raka. They are examples of insult. It's like calling somebody a good-for-nothing, empty-headed, a senseless fool. Calling someone an idiot. I can go on and on on English words that communicate very well what this word raka or insult means. These were serious offenses among the people of Israel because verbal insults were a violation of the sixth commandment. These insults dishonor, disrespect, and demean another brother publicly. Leviticus 19, verse 16 says, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. I am the Lord. These malicious slanderers were held accountable in Jewish court called the Sanhedrin, which was the adjudicating body of Israel, of the Jewish people. It was the supreme court of Israel in that day. And there were different punishments depending on the crime. Literal murder and slander were punished differently, but Jesus teaches something very profound and sobering here. And he's saying this. Now listen carefully. He's saying this. He's saying that before God, there is no major or minor sins. They will all be accountable before him. They will all face the judgment of God. God sees and knows the hearts and thoughts of men and women. He knows every word on my tongue, and every person will give an account for every word spoken. For Jesus says, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Because the words that we speak really truly reveal what's in our hearts. And before God, the Supreme Court judge of heaven and earth and of every human being, will judge those who murder with words. They will have to give an account in this court. This includes us. We must give an account for every word we speak. That too is very sobering. Those who commit murderous thoughts and murderous words will be liable to the hell of fire or Gehenna. Gehenna refers to the valley of the son of Hinnom, It was a place where a few kings, namely Ahaz and Manasseh, Nasty Massey, sacrificed their sons in this valley. And then it became a garbage dump of Jerusalem where it burned constantly. And that is the image that the Bible gives us. Jesus himself gives us. For those who murder in all its forms. Congregation. Living here in America, we have many rights. We have the Bill of Rights. We have the First Amendment. And in the First Amendment, we have the freedom of speech. You can say practically anything you want as long as you're not threatening murder on someone. And you won't be brought to the courts. 
And I think sometimes we think as Christians, we take this Bill of Rights, we take this First Amendment right, and we think it's okay as Christians to push the envelope. I can say what I want on Twitter. I can say what I want on social media, whatever platform. I have the right to do all of this. Yeah, your country gives you the right to do and say those things. But is it okay before God? Young people, is it okay before God how you use your tongue through words on a screen toward another person? The law of God, and as we look at the sixth commandment this evening, reveals God's character that in God there is no death or darkness. In God there is life. And we are the people, Christians are the people of the living God who promote life, who love life, because in him there's only light and life. And therefore God commanded that all people that Christians respect, protect, and preserve life to love our neighbor as ourselves, to not murder our neighbor with our thoughts, words, or deeds. The law of God, in fact, as Jesus expands upon it here, really truly teaches us that we are all murderers in whatever form is taught here. Who can stand before God guiltless and blameless? No one. Apart from the grace of God, we are perpetual murderers with unbridled hearts. But like the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who laid down his life to cleanse us, forgive us, According to his great love and mercy, he has set us free from the bondage of sin. He has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. He has set us free and forgiven us of our murderous thoughts and deeds. And for those brothers in prison who have turned to the Lord Jesus, know the forgiving love of their Father in heaven through Christ for their murderous deeds. Yes, this is a very serious theme this evening. It's a very serious theme that really reflects upon who we truly are by nature. But in Christ, in Christ we are forgiven and free. Christian, Christian, how deep the Father's love for you is. That He should send His Son so that He would pay the set, uh, the. The, the, the ransom for his people. So that we would not face this judgment, but have life eternal. Praise be to God for Jesus. That when we approach God in his courtroom, 
we are declared not guilty. Not by any works we have done, but because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus through faith in his name. We enter God's court and we are found not guilty. If you want to kill something, if you want to kill something, God gives you permission to kill sin in your life. Matthew Henry was asked, how can I be angry and not sin, as the apostle tells us? That's what Matthew Henry was asked. He was asked by a parishioner, how can I be angry and not sin, as the apostle tells us? And Matthew Henry responded, only in one way, and that is not to be angry with anything but sin. Let us kill sin in our lives, looking to Jesus for help and strength, looking to Jesus alone for the forgiveness of our sin, the sin of murder in thought, word, or in deed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would teach us your ways, teach us to walk in love, Toward our neighbor, teach us, O oh Lord, to learn daily what it means to think your thoughts, to reflect your love, and to show forth with our actions the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Father, where we have sinned, where we have insulted, a brother or sister or neighbor with our mouths. Again, we plead the blood of Jesus. We confess to you. And we're thankful that we receive your forgiving mercy. Father, where we have sinned in our hearts with thoughts of anger, wrath, and malice, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would cleanse our hearts. Father, help us, we pray, to see one another, to view one another the way that you view us. As image bearers created in your likeness, and so help us not to be a wrathful, vengeful, angry people, but a joy-filled people, a compassionate people, a people who from the heart give the benefit of the doubt in loving our neighbor. And rather than being vengeful or angry, teach us to reach out and to pray with them, pray for them. Love them the way that Christ has loved us and loves them. Father, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.